sure I'm glad he's alive. Sure I'm glad he loves. An amazing savior we have. You know what a what a blessing it is to have a relationship with the living God. Again, we take it for granted so much. So much we take for granted sometimes, don't we? Our salvation, isn't it amazing to be saved? I mean, isn't it amazing to have Christ in our lives? To have him alive in us, to have him moving in us, to have him speaking to us, to have him protecting us, to have him providing for us. Isn't it amazing to have Christ? And isn't it amazing to be a part of the body of Christ? I mean, so many things that we just kind of walk through life uh, not really thinking much about sometimes. Sometimes it's because we are so blessed that we don't have much to think about. But sometimes it's just that we just don't take the time. We, we just kind of lose track. Anybody ever lose track of Jesus? I mean, just lose track of him? Walk through your day and not really consider much about what's going on and, and literally kind of let the world seep in a little bit. Maybe sometimes let the world seep in a lot until pretty soon what's impacting you it's more the world than Jesus. You know, that's a, it's a tough place to be. It's not hard to get there. It's pretty easy to get there. It doesn't take much. But, you know, as we're going to continue our walk through the book of Ruth, you can kind of see in here this first chapter, and you can turn over there if you want to, you can kind of see in this first chapter how easy that happens. I mean, last week we talked about the road to nowhere we talked about that in the first five verses and how Elimelech and his wife Naomi took their sons and left Bethlehem, house of bread, because there was a famine in Israel. And they just decided that the best thing that they could do is see their future, take their lives into their own hands, into their own control, and go do their thing. But in order to do that, they had to leave the promised land. In order to do that, they had to leave the covenant of God. In order to do that, they had to be faithless. They could have stayed. They could have persevered and trusted God. That's the thing, right? There's some times where God calls us to trust him where it's easier to see the things in the world. Like they could easily see that there was food in Moab. They could easily see how they could move there. They could easily see in their own mind how if they made their own decisions and left God behind, they could then have prosperity and blessings and comfort and care in Moab. That's really easy to do, isn't it? To live your own life, your own way, make your own decisions, determine your future because of what you know and what you think and what you've seen before, rather than saying to God, where do you want me, God? And what are you going to do in my life? And rather than to believe, Lord God, you are the provider, not me. You are the caretaker of my life, not me. You may want me to stay and be a testimony and to show others who God is by me trusting you, but that's a lot deeper commitment, isn't it? It is, it's a much deeper commitment. It's something we should really consider often is the depth that God calls us to in our walk with him. 
He never calls us to shallow faith. He never calls us to shallow commitment. He never calls us to a casual kind of relationship with Jesus. It's really what the world wants today. It's really what churches want today. They really want to have all the blessings of God without any faith and any commitment and any perseverance. Isn't it true? Wouldn't that be great to have all the blessings of God without God? It's a crazy question, isn't it? Because that's kind of what we hope for many times. All the blessings of God without any relationship with God. It's kind of like saying, I want all the blessings of being married, but I certainly don't want Beth to impact my life in any way. She shouldn't have any expectations of me. There shouldn't be any requirements of me as her husband. I should be able to go do whatever I want to, whenever I want to, and you know, Beth can go do whatever she wants to. We should never really have to cross, cross paths because relationships, man, there's, there's a lot to them, isn't there? Well, so we read last week this road to nowhere. I, I mean, it's, it's crazy because it's such a great picture of what happens when we make decisions for ourselves apart from God. We go where we want to go, but the consequences aren't ours. We don't get to determine those things. We read last week that they go and all of a sudden Elimelech dies. No one's in control of life and death but God. <coughs> so there it is. He dies. And man, that makes things exponentially harder for Naomi. Obviously losing the man that she loves, but also losing her caretaker. Thankfully, she still has two sons that are able to help her out. But instead of returning to Bethlehem, instead of returning to Israel, she just decides to stay the course. There's still food in Moab. There's still prosperity in Moab. So rather than saying, I'm going to walk God's way, she encourages her sons to stay in Moab and marry Moabite women. It was illegal for them to enter the assembly of Israel, but by marrying these sons, right, Naomi's throwing out what God says and encouraging her sons to walk against the word of God. It's crazy. But that's easy once we've already started down that path. Once you kind of walk away from God, then all's game. All's good. Matter of fact, that's one of the big battles you see within churches today. I mean, they compromise the word, they compromise the word, they compromise the word, and pretty soon sin's coming their way and sin's knocking at their door. And once you start compromising the word, then you don't really have anything to stand on any longer. So when sin comes that way into the church, they just go, well, sure, come on in. We've already gone down this road already, so why does it matter if we go any further? And then they begin to justify sin, and, and then the sons die. The sons die. They die childless. I mean, the Bible doesn't say that this is all the work of God, but you need to know, right? This is God. Life and death is God. When someone dies, that's God. Don't miss it. Death is not accidental. The Bible says it's appointed once unto man to die, and then the judgment. It's not accidental. God is in death. He's the Lord of life. He's the Lord of death. And we don't like to say that out loud because there are difficult circumstances in this world that are beyond our comprehension and beyond our control. And I get that and I struggle just like some of you, but, but this is a move of God here. They thought they could go prosper without God and all of a sudden it's just Naomi 
and Orpah and Ruth. And these three women are not going to be able to take care of themselves. Naomi in particular because she's a foreign woman in Moab. In Moab. And nowhere in these days would a woman have the ability to really provide for herself. I mean, she was going to need a man in her life to be the provider. She was going to need someone to do the work in the fields and take care of them. Otherwise, she was going to be a beggar. And so were Orpah and so were Ruth. The road that they thought would be successful ultimately led to nowhere and honestly, brokenness and emptiness. And let me just be plain about it. That is the road of the flesh. That is the road of the world. You want to walk your way without God, he lets you go. You can make that choice, but when you make that choice, then all of the responsibility for you, your care, your family, your future falls on you. And wow, no one of us, no one of us is sufficient for that. So we come to verse 6. And things are pretty intense. Read with me, verse six. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, return my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return my daughters, go for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Now we're going to finish this passage, chapter 1, a little bit later, but let's just stop right here and pray. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your word. Lord, your word is good for us. It's so good for us. It speaks to us. I mean, the book of Ruth is about us. It's about us understanding who you are. It's about us recognizing that we have decisions to make that can be made under you and for you or that can be made without you and against you. I pray, Lord, that you would certainly call us to faith in you, to trust you, to walk in your ways, to persevere in difficult times when life is out of our control, that we would still trust in you and and walk your ways. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would open our eyes and our spirits to what you're doing in us, that we might not miss how you work and how you work to bring us back. And I pray, Lord, for those that are here this morning that don't know you, that even today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, thank you for being such a a gracious and merciful God. And Lord, I love you. I'm praying in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we read, right? They've come to this place, and really Naomi has no other choice but then to go back to Israel. She has no other choice 
I mean, even when she gets back to Israel, she's going to be dependent. She's going to be needy. She's not going to be well off. She's not going to be successful. She is going to be in dire straits, literally. Unless God intervenes, she's going to be in trouble. But she's going to be less in trouble among her own people. And let's just be honest, she's going to be, she's going to be far better off in the land of God where God has set his people and called them to live, she's going to be far better off. But this is a huge struggle. I mean, the road to home is what we're talking about today. It is a tough road home when we have walked away from God. But it certainly is worth it. So we read that, you know, she's a rose, she and her daughter, daughters-in-law, that they might return to Moab. But don't you love what the last part of verse 6 says? For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. Man, I, I love that. I love the fact because, that fact because God always comes through for his people. I mean, was the famine in Israel a hand of God? Yes. There's really no doubt about that. Uh, we, we shouldn't say it any other way. We talked about them living in the times of the judges and how the people of Israel would turn from God repeatedly, 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 and then God would bring some sort of judgment into their life to lead them to repentance. And so, yes, you, you gotta call a famine a work of God anyway. When there's no rain, that's the work of God. I mean, we have to see God. We have to know God. We have to know how God works. We don't have to try to figure out what we want from God. We have to know who God is and work in response to him. But don't you love that though there was a famine in the land that she had already heard before she ever went home that God had visited his people again and there was food in Israel. He's so faithful. I mean, quite honestly, if we persevere through the difficult times in our walk with Christ, there's always going to come this time of renewal and refreshment and resupplying. It's just always gonna happen. I'll never forget when I was, when I was, being called in the ministry and I would spend time with my pastor and he would just share with me trials and difficulties and things that he'd been through and, and things that he was going through. And I mean, I still didn't know the scope of all this stuff, but he always told me, he said, you know, as you, as you pastor a church, there's going to always come hard times. It could be division. It could be just, you're not growing it could be spiritual trials, it could be loss, it could be sufferings, you know, it could be whatever you want to say. He says, and, and you're going to be tempted to, you know, give up. You're going to be tempted to just step out of that church and move on because the trials are going to seem insurmountable. And he said, it's literally going to look like there's a wall in front of you and the wall in front of your church from moving forward and there's going to be no door to go through and you're going to just be discouraged and want to quit. He says, but don't. You pray, you persevere, you trust God, and he says, you watch, and God will take down that wall. Well, that's been nothing but true in my ministry, nothing but true in our church. I mean, nothing but true. You know, I've been here 20 years. Now, that's not a lot. Jim Ritter down in, in Glenrock's been there 40. That's a lot. That's amazing. But it wouldn't matter before Jim was in Glenrock, before I was here at College Science, before somebody else was in their church. Churches have had trials, right? And for a church to continue to walk with Christ as a body, they have to persevere. And they have to persevere a lot. 
They have to persevere through various different things. You know, I, I don't need to go too far with that. I, I get told lots of things sometimes, and it makes me laugh. Because, you know, we always want life to be easier, even as a church sometimes, don't we? Well, isn't the same thing true about your lives, though? We certainly have seasons where we're blessed. We certainly have seasons where we're at peace. But then we certainly have seasons where, man, everything's hard. Sometimes we're sick. Sometimes we're discouraged. Sometimes we lose our job. Some, I mean, sometimes we lose loved ones. I mean, life is broken because of sin, what are we going to do? Are we going to persevere and see God as the answer and know that he's going to come through at just the right time? Or are we just going to go to Moab? Man, so many today are headed to Moab. They're not headed to God. Naomi had heard already that there was food back in Israel, but she hadn't gone there till her sons died. So now she says, I've got to go back to Israel. There's food there at least, right? But then these crazy things start to happen. And, and no wonder right? She departs from the place and her daughters-in-law go with her. They're on their way back to the land of Judah. And Naomi stops them and says, girls, go back to your families. Go back to your families, right? And may the Lord deal kindly with you like you have done to the dead, like you've dealt with the dead and, may, and you've dealt kindly with me. And may the Lord bless you with rest in, your, in the house of your husband. May he just bless your life. But don't go with me. Now, I find that to be a little bit crazy. I, I know there's all kinds of factors in that. But I find that to be a little bit crazy because, because Naomi is going back to the land of the living God. Going back to the land of the living God. She tells them, go back. Go back to your people. Go back to your gods. Go back. Now, again, I can't even emphasize enough for you what happens when we depart from God. When we depart from God, we lose all perspective on God. We lose all perspective of his goodness. We lose all perspective of his strength. We lose all perspective of his sovereignty. I mean, Naomi should have been inviting these young ladies to come back to Israel because she knew who God was. And she would have known that their gods weren't gods at all. Their gods were idols. And God had proven that over and over and over as he overcame Moab and as he overcame their gods. And any time one of these pagan nations would have victory in battle, they, they attributed that to their God. But there was no God like Israel's God. There was no God who had set people free from Egypt and done those 10 amazing miracles. There was no God that had parted the Red Sea. There was no God that had parted the Jordan. There was no God, no God, but Israel's God. And Naomi knew it, but she'd lost perspective. Sin, man, sin just blinds us. It just continually blinds us to the truth around us. And pretty soon... She has these two young ladies that obviously cared for her and she obviously cared for them, but she didn't care for their soul. I mean, all she's thinking of is worldly wisdom. I mean, worldly wisdom says, 
it's a really bad idea for us to take you back to Israel. You're Moabites. You're going to be hated for sure. If they went back to Israel, they would certainly be culturally isolated and potentially hated because they were enemies of Israel. If you read the book of Judges, just read how many times the Moabites came in and just tortured and taunted and destroyed Israel, you'll know why they would have been hated. They wouldn't have been enjoyed. It would have been incredibly difficult for these young ladies to go back to Israel because quite honestly, they probably weren't going to marry. They weren't allowed to enter into the assembly of Israel. Though they had married Israelites, they probably weren't going to go back and be married again because it really was unlikely. So in the worldly wisdom, you go, why would you go back? You're going to be hated. You're probably not going to get married. We're going to be three widows living together. That's going to be a burden. That's not going to be any fun for any one of us. The worldly wisdom says the thing to do, as far as I can understand and comprehend with my mind and figure out with my might, is to go live according to the world, find some husband here in Moab, which is going to be a higher choice, and let God bless you and your husband, except you don't know God. You don't know him. Man, I find this to be kind of crazy, but I, I'll be honest with you. Man, it's, it's very common. It's really very common. I mean, when we struggle in our relationship with God, when he's not center to our lives, when we're not spending time in prayer seeking his face, when we're not reading our Bibles learning of his wisdom and his ways, when we're not being drawn to God because we're being drawn by the world, why would it surprise us that we think like the world? I mean, Naomi actually said, you know, if you go with me, I'm not going to have any more sons. I'm not of the age to have a husband. And if I did have a husband, and even if I had a husband tonight, she says, would you wait for my other sons to grow up and marry you? Obviously, she's saying the only way really, the only way that I can figure out that you ladies could have husbands by coming with me is for me to have another baby or two and then you could have husbands from my line like you already had. If that's not worldly thinking, I don't know what is. I mean, there was nothing about this that's seeking God. There was nothing about this that understood the power of God. There was nothing about this that understood the dynamic of God. There was nothing about this that understood the grace of God. There was nothing about this that was looking to God and going, God, what do you want for these two young ladies and for my life? Because quite honestly, worldly wisdom doesn't think it needs God. Because worldly wisdom is quite honestly sufficient to those of us that aren't walking with God. We don't even know there's an option. And man, if you know the rest of the book of Ruth, you know already that that worldly wisdom was wrong. It was wrong. Anytime you leave God out of the discussion, anytime you leave God out of the decision-making process, you're leaving out miracles. You're leaving out love. You're leaving out grace. You're leaving out a path that you never even thought of and couldn't comprehend. But man, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Well, 
Let's read on. Verse 14. Well, verse 10 says, first time she tells them to go back, they say, no, we'll return with you. Next time she tells them, no, you need to go. We find out what happens in verse 14. And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Now, I, I think this is awesome because, again, right, the Bible's written for us. So the Bible here has given us two people and two responses. One is Orpah, one is Ruth. Well, we're going to read Ruth's response here, one of the most famous responses in all of Scripture, and it should be. But Orpah's response is like, you know what, Naomi? What you say makes sense to me. I'm comfortable here. I don't have to really trust anybody. I think I can go home to my mother's house, find a husband, raise kids, blah, blah, blah. She kisses her mother-in-law and off she goes. And we never read her name again. She's never discussed again. We have no idea if she married. We have no idea if she has children. We have no idea if she lived. We have no idea if she's never mentioned again. She makes the worldly choice and out she goes and that's it. No more Orpah. But Ruth, listen to what Ruth says. Verse 15. Then she said, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her, her people. Oh, this is Naomi, excuse me. Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her, her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So here you have the one that goes, yep, the worldly wisdom makes sense. But then you have Ruth. And Ruth says, don't, don't. Do not urge me to go home. Ruth obviously has a love for Naomi that I don't care how you look at this passage of scripture is incredible. Who wouldn't want a love like Ruth as for Naomi? I mean, Ruth is stepping out in huge faith just to love her mother-in-law. But there had to be more to it. I mean, let's just be honest. There has to be more to it. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever in the flesh or in the world to go back to Israel with Naomi. They're going to go back and be beggars. That's what the worldly wisdom would say to them. They're going to go back and be dependent. They're going to go back and they're going to have trials. I mean, this decision that Ruth makes is far more difficult than the decision that Orpah makes. Orpah's decision makes sense in the flesh. Ruth's decision doesn't make any sense at all. Ruth says, not only am I going to go and lodge where you lodge, but I'm going to make your people my people, even though they're enemies of my people. I'm going to make them my people. And if that's not enough, I'm going to make your God my God. That's amazing. I mean, now you're beginning to talk about a young lady that has faith moving forward, quite possibly in what she doesn't really even comprehend yet. And she says, where you die, I'm going to die 
and I'm going to be buried there. Now, the ancient tradition was, is if you were under a pagan god, if you were under an idol, and you were not buried in the place that you should be buried according to that idol worship, that you could potentially lose your eternal rest. For her to go to Israel and commit to everything about Israel, including their God and dying and being buried in their land, it would have been, at least in worldly wisdom, pagan wisdom, this sacrifice of possibly even your eternal life. Of course, that wasn't true, right? It wasn't true because that was just worldly, ungodly wisdom. The truth of the wisdom was, was that God was doing something here. Do you not see this? It doesn't, again, point out God moving here. But what would cause Ruth, apart from this great movement of God, apart from this great love of God, to follow Naomi back to Israel and to commit herself completely to not only Naomi, but to the God of Israel, if it weren't the hand of God. I I actually find this passage incredibly revealing and incredibly just encouraging. I mean, so many times we wonder why we do things or why we don't do things. You know, I, (laughs) I relate to this story so well. I mean, just difficult times that God brought into our lives. And all of a sudden, we're doing things we weren't doing. We're going to church. Beth and I didn't go to church when we first got married. Beth and I didn't go to church before we got married. What would make me go to church? Why would I need to go to church? Why would I need to seek God? Oh, my baby almost dying. Oh, that'll do it. That'll do it. Did I want that to happen to Katie? Did I want that to happen to Beth and I? Mm, Not at the time. Am I thankful that that happened now? Well, you better believe it. You better believe it. I mean, if you think God doesn't work through hard things, if you think God doesn't move through the loss of loved ones, if you think God doesn't move through sick babies, if you think God doesn't move through financial disaster, if you think God doesn't move through national trials, if you think God doesn't move through these things, you don't know God. You don't know God. Romans 8.28 tells us, for God causes all things to work together to those who love God, right? To those who are called according to his purpose. Is that all things are just part things? Is that all things are just the things that we want to say he uses? Then God's moving in Ruth's life, but not only is he moving in Ruth's life, he's moving in Naomi's life. And what a gift Ruth is to Naomi. I mean, can you imagine? You're gonna go back by yourself. You know, you know you've left. You know you've rebelled against God. You know, no matter what you say, you know. That's not what God calls you to. You left. You stayed away. And the only thing that has forced your hand to go home now is God. What's that going to look like? It's hard to go home. It's hard to go home and not know what's going to happen. But you got Ruth. What a gift from God. 
But I want you to see kind of how convoluted things get when you walk this way because after Ruth gives this great declaration, I'm giving everything of myself to you and to your people and to your God. I'm even gonna die and stay there with me. And man, nothing but death is gonna stop me. Verse 18 says, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. The literal translation of the Hebrew there says, and when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she would not speak to her anymore. It's not just this simple clear-cut thing of, oh, you're resolved to go with me, so okay, I won't bother you. No, it gives this understanding that at least at some level, Naomi was a little bit irritated about this. Naomi was a little bit kind of put out about this. It may not be completely true. I mean, certainly she was thankful for this commitment that Ruth was giving to her, but to just say, I'm not gonna talk to you anymore just shows that, that, that Naomi was in a pretty rough place emotionally and spiritually. And, and you know, we, we get that, right? She's been through some difficult things and she's gonna take a difficult step and she's gonna go back to a people that she doesn't know how they're gonna treat her. They all know she abandoned them and abandoned the Lord. They don't, she doesn't know how they're gonna treat them. I mean, quite honestly, when God was moving me to go back to church, I've told this a thousand times, that I had the same question. What's gonna happen if I go to church? I used to go to church with my mom. I, had, I knew who God was. Quite honestly, God had been working in my life the whole time I had walked away from him. It, he didn't quit working in my life. His convictions got greater and man, my brokenness got worse and all this stuff was happening. But my question was, what's gonna happen to me if I go back to church? Is God gonna accept me? Is he gonna love me? Is he gonna you know, care for me? Is he gonna forgive me? Because man, you go back and he doesn't do those things and you're in, you're in hopeless trouble, right? So Naomi's already going, what in the world is... Am I going to do if I go back home? And then she's got to think, I'm bringing a Moabite with me. These people aren't going to respond to Ruth. She's going to have some, some trials along with me, and that's just going to burden me more. Now, some of you are going to say, I don't know if that's true or not. Well, read on with me. Let's see what Naomi has to say. So it says in verse 19, So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came, had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? I mean, it would have been kind of exciting. It would have been a lot of questions. I mean, you're talking about a small village. Everybody would have known that she and Elimelech had left. Now they come back. It's just her and a daughter-in-law. The men are all gone. And there would have been some gossip going on. There would have been some questions going on. Where have you been? What have you been through? Is this really Naomi? Has she come home? And Naomi's response is, is kind, of, kind of crazy. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And listen to her, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me pleasant? since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. You know, you, you hear this, this brokenness in, in Naomi and we all kind of can understand that. 
I mean, obviously she has attributed all this loss to God. She has attributed all her pain, the loss of her husband, the loss of her two sons, all this to the hand of God. She's right. I mean, let's not, let's not try to sugarcoat this. She's right. Whether it was directly just this consequence of her sin and Elimelech's sin or it was just their time, I mean, you can debate that all day long, but it's God that gives life. It's God that takes life. You can, you can take that one to the bank for sure. But the crazy thing is, she says, I went out full. I came back empty. Now, I want you to hear this because Ruth is probably standing right beside her. Ruth who says, don't urge me to go away. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Who your people are will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die. Be buried in your land, giving my life to serve you. I'm gonna make your God my God, committed to you. But as far as Naomi was concerned, Ruth didn't mean anything to her, at least not in a significant physical way. It's crazy to me because, you know, we have this challenge before us whenever tragedies come our way and whenever hard times come our way. We have this challenge before us that says we're either going to trust God in that and find peace in the Lord Jesus Christ and find hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and find strength and comfort in the Lord Jesus Christ and we are going to be able to walk through this thing without being bitter. I mean the word Mara comes from the place where the Israelites came to after they'd left Egypt. They'd crossed the Red Sea and wasn't far after that but they came to this place where the water was bitter and they called it Mara and they complained against the Lord for bringing them out of Egypt as if it was going to be better to live in slavery. And even then, God told Moses to make the water sweet, and it, and it became sweet again. I mean, it's just ridiculous how quickly we lose perspective when we let our own understanding and even our own circumstances dictate to us how we see God. I mean, it's not hard to get bitter. I mean, bitterness is something that I struggle with sometimes. Do you struggle with bitterness? Bitterness involves no perspective with God. I don't care what you say. You can justify your bitterness any way you want to, but that is leaving God out of your life. Bitterness is selfish. Bitterness is self-centered. Bitterness is not in any way trusting God with your life. Bitterness is anger at God because he hasn't done in your life what you want him to do. Naomi says, I went out full. But she didn't even hear herself say, I went out. I went out from God. I didn't walk with God. I went out. And now, because of my own worldly decisions, I'm coming back empty. But in that statement, she then discounts the move of God with Naomi in her life and even the move of God that brought her back to God. I mean, isn't it amazing that God works in our lives even when we don't see him working? Isn't that amazing? 
I mean, he didn't have to bring Naomi back. He didn't have to send Ruth with her. He could have left her in Moab. He could have let her settle there. He could have stopped her. I mean, God's sovereign. God's moving in this woman's life, but she's so caught up by the world and she's so caught up by herself and she's so caught up by her lack of faith that she says, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Don't call me blessed of God call me cursed of God. These things have come about from the hand of God. He's ruined my life and I never am going to be happy again. Oh my goodness. Does bitterness destroy our lives? You know, it's easy, isn't it? To miss God. I wonder how many of you realize this morning that the reason you're here is because God brought you. I wonder how many of you just realize that where you are in this world is brought about in many ways by the hand of God. Maybe you're Maybe you're living in God's discipline because you've rejected him, but it's still God's hand. Maybe the blessings that you have, not maybe, the blessings that you have are by the hand of God and whatever comforts and blessings and peace you have is because God loves you. Do you see that? What about the trials? I mean, I know that some of you have trials. They're real trials. They're, they're elongated trials. They're, there's no end to the trial that you can see in the foreseeable future. Is it possible God's doing something in your life to reveal himself to you and draw you to him? Or have you... Have you decided that God is not good and God is not great? And you make that decision and all of a sudden bitterness enters into your heart and unforgiveness enters into your heart and judgment. How many of you like to be judged? I don't think anybody. None of us like to be judged. I don't like to be judged. So why would we want to judge somebody else? But all of that happens to us. I mean, the angry, snarky, complaining, judgmental person is a bitter person. And the reason they're bitter is because God is not in there. They haven't seen him in whatever they're going through. And if they have seen him, they've had a skewed view of him. God desires to save. God desires to heal. God desires to forgive. God desires to bless. God desires to love. And he does love. But if we've got caught up in worldly thinking and fleshly thinking and selfishness and pride then the things that come out of us, they're harsh. 
and they're judgmental. They don't have to be true. They don't have to be true. It just has to be what we think. Naomi, rather than seeing God, who'd brought her back to the house of bread, where later on we would hear Jesus say what? I'm the bread of life. He who eats of this body and drinks of this blood, right? he has life in him. He, he brought her back to himself, was bringing her back to himself, and she couldn't even see it. And so she says, you know, just call me bitter. I'm not pleasant any longer. Well, praise God, that was going to change, right? Praise God, that was going to change. Verse 22 ends chapter 1 very simply. So Naomi returned and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. That, (laughs) that last statement is the stepping stone to how God begins to change their circumstances. Listen, I want you to hear this morning that the road home, it, it can be pretty tough. The road home I'm talking about is the road back to God. Some of us, without a doubt, have known Christ for a long time. Some of us maybe for a short time, but the road out of God's presence that leads to nowhere is a short road. It doesn't take very long and it becomes very attractive and then it becomes very enslaving. And it's tough. It's tough to get back on the road home. The road home then becomes convoluted like it did for Naomi and for Orpah and Ruth because now sin has impacted them. There's decisions to be made. There's broken relationships to be had. I mean, Orpah had to have the decision to leave Naomi and never see her again, even though she loved her, would never see her again. Ruth had to make the decision that if she went with Naomi, she'd give up everything of her family and her country and her God and follow Naomi to God, even though Naomi didn't know it was going to happen. The road home, it's costly, and it can be long, and it can be uncertain because, quite honestly, the road home is a road of faith. Some of us, we might need to say, Lord, I'm a bitter, judgmental person. And my bitterness comes from my lack of forgiveness, my lack of faith in you. And I need to forgive those who have sinned against me. And I'm not gonna hold it against them any longer. Lord, I don't wanna be bitter. I know you're moving. Whatever circumstances I've had to walk through, whatever hard times, whatever things people have done or said, Lord, I'm trusting you. That's the road home for many of us. I'm trusting you. Lord, I know I'm going to have some more trials in my life, but Lord, thank you for the trials. Those trials, they're used by you to make me into the man or the woman of God that you want me to be. So Lord, thanks for the trials. I don't want to be bitter about them. Lord, do in my life what you need me to do. Some of us just really need to turn back to God and let God renew us and refresh us in his sweetness, and his goodness, and his faithfulness, and his power, and in his truth.
freedom. There's freedom in Christ Jesus. Some of us are here this morning, we've never trusted Christ. Every day is this personal grind to sustain our lives and this personal battle for us to get ahead and our personal struggle to keep our, our faces above water. And man, we've, we've grown tired, we've grown bitter, we've grown angry over the fact that life is just hard and it never seems to give up. What we really need is faith in Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. He washes our sins from us and makes us new creations. He sends the Spirit to live in us, to give us wisdom, to give us peace, the peace that surpasses all comprehension. He's able to strengthen us when we're weak. He's able to guide us when we don't know where to go. He's able to comfort us. He's the God of all comfort. We need Christ. We didn't need more of us. We need more of Christ. And the road home, yeah. Yeah, you have to, you have to make some commitments. The commitment is to the one who loves you like no other, though. You don't have to be afraid of that commitment. If you need to repent today, if you just need to confess all this garbage that's kept you from trusting Christ and enjoying the wonder and amazement of his love, it's worth it. Tell him you're sorry. Pour out all that bitterness and unforgiveness. Accept the plan that he has for you. Go home to him. If you've never trusted him today, you say, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus died and rose again for me. I'm giving you my life. Make me new. I promise you he will. Let's pray together.